0: Kind of makes me want to sing. I know, I know. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn over to the book of Proverbs, chapter 10. That's where we've been for a little while. And uh, now that we've sunk our teeth into the Proverbs uh, themselves, it bogged down a little bit. There's so much in here, and I want to make sure we go through it all. But we ain't in no hurry, you know. We want to get everything out of it we can. And last week, uh, we were in chapter 10, verse 5, and we saw a great practical lesson on the cycle of life, uh, the seasons, and how those four seasons uh, are a picture of what we go through uh, not only in a year, but in our own lives, starting out in the springtime of our life, moving into the summer, into the fall, and then, of course, into the final phases of our life in the wintertime. I gave you probably, from a practical standpoint, one of the greatest verses uh, that deals with uh, your life and my life and time. And it says in Psalm chapter 90, verse 10, For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is there strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. And then verse 12 is what we talked about, if you remember, at the end of our, our time last week. So teach us to number our days that we may be able to apply our hearts uh, unto wisdom. And how that, uh, uh, you know, out of life, you look and that's 70 years that he's talking about there. We kind of calculated it out and went through all of the things. And uh, when you put it all together, probably all of us have out of a full life, if we live a full life, probably 15 or 20 years to serve the Lord. And uh, nothing more precious in our lives as a Christian than time, you know, and during that time, uh, our fruit-bearing season, as Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 talks about. Now today, I want to continue uh, through this passage, and we'll look at several more Proverbs and make uh, the appropriate comments on each one of them. You want to remember now, and I'll keep bringing this before you, you want to remember that uh, these Proverbs are about the issues of life. They're about everything that we face every day on a regular basis, the things about life that uh, God sees and understands, and, and uh, that in time, uh, if we get the book of Proverbs in our life, we see them also the way He sees them, get His knowledge, get His wisdom, get His understanding to see and understand every issue that comes in our life. So before we start this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and let's ask Him to bless our time today. Father... We do thank Thee and praise Thee for the Lord Jesus, and we thank You, Father, for the time that we've set aside, for the good people that have come out today. We pray, Father, Your blessings upon us, and Lord, we put, pray that You'll put us under the blood today. If there's anything in our life that is not pleasing to You that would hinder us from getting what You have for us, that we would bring it to You, Lord, and ask You to forgive us. We just ask You now, Father, in all that You do, to give us today what we need, and we'll thank You and praise you. in Jesus' name. For the sake we ask it. Amen. Now, Proverbs chapter 10, we're going to pick it up in verse 6 today. It says this. It says, Blessings are upon the head of the just, but violence covereth the mouth of the wicked. Now, I could never overstate the first part of that verse about the blessings of God in a Christian's life because it's so true. You know, in the Old Testament throughout the Bible, I'm thinking in particular there when Jacob blessed his sons in Genesis chapter 48, uh, verses 14 through 17, the Bible says that when he brought him in to bless him, he put his hands upon their head. And that's symbolic in the Bible of, of, of the Father blessing uh, his sons. And it symbolizes the Father giving him his blessing uh, as, his, as his son. The, our head in the Bible is, a, is an incredible study unto itself. You know, 2nd, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 talks about that the head of every man is Christ. And what talks about our head in the Bible is talking about our thoughts, our direction in life, what we do, where we go, uh, living your life, uh, you know, for the Lord with his direction. And we use the, our head in a, many, many different phrases even today, you know, about it direction in life, you know, get your head on straight and all those things that will will all bring the connotation of getting your life in order. It's hard for me as I think it would be for most Christians to, uh, to even, con- you know, understand how to live your life without the blessings of God upon you. Yet, all my life I've seen Christians that seemingly just struggle with everything. You know, I've seen Christians over the years that uh, they can never get ahead. They always have some fundamental issue that just keeps dragging them down. Uh, they never go anywhere. Never have any really fun or good times. They're just always carrying a burden or carrying a load for something. You know, And they may never sink completely, but uh, they go through life with the water just up to the edge of their nose where it's really hard to breathe. And sometimes they do sink. They lose everything they've got. And I look at situations like that and I think to myself, what a terrible way to go through your life. It's, it's hard for me to imagine a child of God not wanting the blessings of God. Amen. But I'm going to tell you something right now. The farther we get from the Bible... And this is true of even us here. I know we have the Bible. We stay in the Bible. But, you know, I don't know. We're kind of like in a bubble here. And outside this bubble, man, the Christian world is just completely upside down. You talk to other Christians who truly are saved people, and they probably love the Lord, but you're going to find when you talk to them, they don't have a clue of what's going on in the Bible or what's going on with the Lord. And I'll tell you why that is, because the Bible is its own book of definitions, I like the Webster's 1728 Dictionary back there. We sell it in the bookstore. And it's a, it, Noah Webster was one of our founding fathers, and he wrote uh, most of the curriculum for the school system when the country started. And uh, his dictionary, Webster's Dictionary, was a standard. And uh, he put his first one out in 1728. And it's one that I really like, and it's one that I use. And you won't find all of the modern-day words in it, you know, that have come into being and come into, been created since that time. But the reason I like it is because uh, many of the definitions of the words, he actually goes back to the Bible, and he uses the Bible to define those words. Because your Bible, if you understand it, it's its own book of definitions. God defines things differently than we do in the world, and I think that the farther we get from God, the farther we get from the things of God, the more we get away from the fact of the Bible definitions, and that's where we, really, we get messed up. And I, I think it's, a, it's just almost everything in life. I think that people are messed up on salvation. I think they're messed up on, on faith. I think they're messed up on all of those great concepts that in the Bible are defined one way, but Christianity, because they've lost their Bible, have defined them another way. And I think that's true of the word of the concept of blessings. I really do. And uh, I think that most of God's people really uh, have lost the concept about what God's blessings are. And they don't even understand when, they're, when they don't have them in their life. And they wonder why, you know, they have so many problems in their life. They wonder why they can't ever get ahead in life. And the reason why they can't, because the Bible says here, blessings are upon the head of the just. And we know that, you know, that God in the Bible, the picture is putting your hand on someone's head and blessing them. And in the Bible, God's hand comes in two formats. God's hand will either be upon you or God's hand will either be against you. And most of God's people today, bless their hearts, they can't tell the difference. They have no clue that when they're trying to go an uphill battle in life and can't figure it out. And I've seen it all my life. I see it more now probably than ever. But God's people trying to like a trying to run up a mountain with a hundred pound pack on their back. Wonder why they can never make any progress. And the bottom line is, is because biblically, the hand of God is against them, not for them. And when you have the hand of God for you, upon you, you have the blessings of God. And truthfully, you know, the God's hand will either be upon you, as it says here in Proverbs ten, six. Or God's hand will be against you, like it says in Job chapter nine. But it'll be one way or the other. And you know, and over the years, uh, I've seen these people never figure it out. They never get it. They're never happy. They'll buy a new car. They'll buy a new house. They'll they'll buy new clothes. And for a while, that'll make them happy. But the car gets old, the, the smell's gone out of it, and the clothes wear out. You wear them four or five times, and, and pretty soon it's, it's, it's not exciting anymore. And they can't, they go from one thing to the other in life, and bless their hearts, they're the most miserable people on this planet. And I've seen them go through life and, and never figure it out. The blessings of God have to be defined in the Bible the way the Bible defines them. And Christians, as I said, have lost those definitions today. Hey, the blessings of God in our lives is not based... And you got to get this. This is just the beginning of what I'm going to talk about today because I'm going to define it for you today. I'm going to take a little simple thing like the blessings of God and put it into a biblical context that most of God's people never heard or never understood before. The blessings of God in our lives are not in what God gives you. The blessings of God in our lives are based on what you give God. And and they never get it. They just never get it. There are people that take everything from God and never one time in their life have they ever given anything back to God. And then they wonder why they're destitute. They wonder why they have nothing uh, in their life. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Probably every child of God here today knows that verse. It may be many of your favorite verses, but you better analyze the verse. That verse says more than just God's going to supply your needs. That verse says that God's supplying your needs is in Christ Jesus. And Ephesians chapter 1 talks about the fact that the blessings of God, everything that God is, he put in Christ Jesus. So it isn't a fact that you just are saved, so God has to come down and bless me. You understand what I'm saying here? You have to have the right biblical relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ to tap into those blessings of God. And most of God's people don't even know what that real relationship is. As I said, they go through their whole life taking everything from God. God for them is an emergency, break the glass in time of need. God for them, they only talk to him, they only come around when they need something. A lot like your, some, of your, some of your relatives. They only, they only hey, show up when they really need something. The only time God hears their voice is when they're in a destitute situation. And God will. God is obligated to a certain degree because we're His children. But remember now, God is just obligated that you that you 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 make it through. He didn't guarantee in what condition you'd be on the other end. When you got saved, God promised He'd get you home to heaven. You understand that? But that means He'd get you home in a wheelchair if He has to. It gets you home in a casket if He has to. It gets you home with some disease if it has to. His promise is it'll get you home. The blessings of God in your life and my life don't come because now I'm a Christian and God's just going to bless me. Those things defined in the Bible, the blessings of God come because of the fact, and it's real simple, they flow through Christ. They come by Christ Jesus. So if we have no biblical-based relationship with him, then there'll be no blessings of God in our life. I've seen people all the time, and I, I, I have a few in my mind this morning, but I'm not going to say it because I'm very kind today. I feel in a very kind, generous mood. But I, I, I watch them, and they'll, get, they'll save people. And, they'll get, and, and they're, they're absolutely some of the most miserable people you ever met in your life. They don't go to church anywhere. They don't do anything. They've never given anything to God. They'll take everything and everybody will give them. And when they have a need in their life, they get on Facebook and they whine and complain about what they don't have. Oh, I need this. Oh, we're destitute. Oh, we need this. And then some stupid Christian out there will feel sorry for them and meet their need. And then they'll get all over the thing and tell everybody, look how God came through. No, that's not God coming through. You're like the guy down on the plaza that stands on the corner with a sign, feed me, I'm hungry, but won't work. When people give me gift cards for my birthday of my Christmas, uh, June 14th, by the way, and uh, (laughs) I I know the 25th of December, but I like to get them a little before, around the 20th, you know. But anyway, I always save them, but after they're gone, You never saw more fun in all your life than driving up to a guy on the street corner who won't work with a sign saying, and you throw him a $100 gift card, and he picks it up and thinks, and then he finds out there ain't nothing on it. Do you think I really do that? You don't know. I don't do that, but I sure like to sometimes. I got such a hard, soft heart, I break my own rules. You know, I was down at the stop out there last week, you know, and, and uh, uh, at, when we we're at Restart, and when I get everybody dropped off, there's a down in the River Market area, there's a little coffee place down there that's got the best coffee in the world. So I have about 20, 30 minutes before I... I have to get on my track because you guys are still out there figuring it all out. So I run down there, and I'll walk up there and get a cup of that coffee and walk back down. I was coming back to the truck. A guy came up, and he says, hey, sir, and he, he had a handful of change, and he says, this is all the money I got. My wife and my kids are up there, and he says, uh, you know, he says, I need to I get, get some gas. Did you have any money in all you can spend? Now, look, I've heard that story. They all got kids. They all got cars with no gas in them, and, <laughs> and you know what? I gave him $5. Now, I had a gift card that didn't have anything on it, just in case. <laughs> now, I knew, and, I, and just, you know, it, I, I followed him up around. He didn't know it. I gave him the $5, and I followed him up around, and and I and, and he didn't know it. And he had no family. He went on up the thing, went on out through the thing up there, and he went on his way. And, you know, he's thinking he got $5. And, you know, I, if, the reason why I followed him, if he really would have had a family, I'd have gave him $20, okay? But I followed him up. Now, but I gave him that $5. I witnessed to him. Now, I hate to say this because you, I witnessed anybody if it only cost me $5. You know what I mean? I, if you want, you, You're you destitute. You need $5. I'll give you the $5. Whatever you buy with between you and God, I'm giving away right heart. But I will give you the gospel in the process of that. And I witnessed to him about the Lord. He walked on up the road. I followed around. Went on his way. And I said, you know what? It was worth the $5 to me. I figured out what he was going to do probably long before he did. I just wanted to see if I was wrong this time. And I'd have pulled the truck over, went up, and got his kids. If they'd have been hungry, I'd have got up, went up, and got some hot dogs, and brought them back to them. But I figured he was shamming me. See? I don't know what this story has anything to do with what I'm talking about in my message this morning. Oh, I know what it was. I, I, I don't give those cards out. And I'm really disappointed in you. <laughs> you know, for Christmas, you're getting a gift card. <laughs> You know I wouldn't do that, don't you? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> you know, I told you a couple. I told you a couple of weeks ago. You know uh, that that uh, my 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 main philosophy of, of ministry with people is simply this: always take care of those, take care of you. I mean, and that that's just what it is. And I've watched, some, I've watched some of you go through some really tough times. I really have. And yet I've watched you never falter, even in the midst of your tough times, I've watched you never falter in what you gave to God within your life, of your life, because of the, of the faithfulness that you are uh, and who you are. And you know what? He's blessed you and brought you through every time. Uh, you, you, you know, in life, you never judge a, a person's life by, what, by one event that takes place. You never do it. Not one happening. You look over the space of time and you see how that pattern of life plays itself out. And it's not that you, uh, you know, you're not going to have some scary times in life. The fact that you give to God what he wants you to do with your life doesn't mean you're not going to have some scary times in your life. The world can be scary, but it does mean is the fact that God's always going to bring you through. And that's how he teaches you to trust him. I was talking to Crystal uh, last week uh, in our church here. She was telling me about a blessing in her life, and I asked her if I could use this story. And, I, I, and she said, yeah. And I, I, she told me how that she had, her car had all kinds of problems, and, and you know, she wasn't going to run anymore, and she had to get another car, and and she, you know, she didn't have the money to buy one, and so she was going to have to get a loan to get one, and she really didn't want to do that, and she was kind of fretting about it, and I want to tell you, Crystal's done everything that I could ever ask a person to do in this church. I mean, she started here. She got disciples. She went through all the classes. You worked with her. Some other girls worked with her, and she come down. She's involved in ministry. She's done everything that, you know, that, uh, that, that I could ever ask anybody to do, and I, you know, and I appreciate her and love her in the Lord, but it's, but but she came up and she was all excited because she said, I'm sitting there trying to put a pencil to everything I got to do. And the phone rings and it was either her mother or somebody, I forget who it was, who had a car that they were going to give me. All I had to do was come down and get it and drive it home. See what I'm talking about? You take care of God, God takes care of you. You, you, you look at those things and when you do right by God, he gives us all sufficiency." 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that always having all sufficiency in all things, we may abound to every good work. When we do right by God, he gives us all sufficiency, and when we don't do right, he can take it away from us just as fast as he gave it to us. I have actually watched people in this church over my lifetime here and all through my ministry who came in, got dialed in, Got plugged in, started to do, God gave them every desire of their heart, everything they needed. And then, I don't know why, for some reason, whatever the case, they decided to go back to the world again, go back to that thing. And I've stood here and watched how God gave them everything in order because they were doing what they needed to do. But just as God gave it to them, as they turned around and went the other way, he just took it back in the same order that he gave it to them. I told you a couple of weeks ago, and I say this again, my ministry, philosophy, <coughs> ministry with people, always take care of them that take care of you. I live by that. I believe that is absolutely a fundamental rule. But I must tell you, I, I, I learned that uh, on the basis of what God has done in taking care of me. I didn't read that in a book someplace or sit down and just say, I think I'll do this. I learned that on the premise and the basis of what God has done and taken care of me. I take care of God in my life for one reason, basically, in, a, in his final analysis. You know what it is? Because of the way he takes care of me. I reciprocate back. I call this in my own theology, God consciousness. Being aware of God in your life. Not taking him for granted. Not using him, as I said earlier, only in the case of an emergency. You see this great illustration in Genesis chapter 37, and it really runs the whole scope of of the last part of the book of Genesis up to chapter 50, and it's a story about Joseph. And I think that Joseph is probably one of the greatest studies in the Bible for many, 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 many reasons. But if you want to take one story that really represents what I'm talking about today and understanding God blessing your life and the blessings of God, It would be the story of Joseph's coat of many colors. Now, that's a fun Sunday school lesson. Most of you kids have heard that in Sunday school. Most of all of us have heard it in Sunday school. But you probably never thought about it in the context that I'm going to talk about it here. Now, that coat is a picture and represents the blessings of God in our life. Jacob is a type of God the Father. Joseph is a picture of me and you in a practical way. Now, there was other boys involved in his family, but Joseph got the coat. Joseph was the younger. He was probably the tenderest of the fathers. When the other boys were out partying around and doing their own thing as older boys do, Joseph still wanted to stay close to the daddy, and he appreciated that. And out of that relationship, it's obvious that Joseph was special. I don't know all the circumstances why. I don't know all the, how it all laid out, but it's very obvious that he was. And the coat that Jacob had made for him and gave him with the many, many colors on it is a picture of the many, many, many blessings that God puts in your life and my life when we cultivate that special relationship. Basically what God did, God set him apart from the other boys. And God will take those Christians who take care of him. You want to understand the blessings of God in your life? You want to know how to have them? You don't want to where they come from, where they start. Do you actually think that just when you get saved that God just has to bless you because, and I understand he takes care of you. I get it. I'm not saying that he doesn't. I'm not saying that he won't come through for you. But I'm talking about bona fide blessings that God dumps on you because of the fact you're taking care of him. God will take care of those that take care of him and set them apart and bless them more than other Christians who won't give anything to God. I want to define it for you today. God just doesn't come down and bless you and me. Let me ask you a question. Most of you can answer this because most of you are involved in ministry here, and so you'll have a pretty good appreciation of what I'm saying. When you work with somebody... When you disciple somebody, when you bring somebody through the 10 things that changed about you the day you got saved, when you take a couple in, or you take a young man in, or a young lady in, and you work with them in the Bible, no matter what their deal is, and you spend time with them, and you meet on a weekly basis, and you, you give them uh, what they need out of the Bible, and you, you see them grow and gravitate. Let me ask you a question. Who gets the bigger blessing? You or them? You do. You may meet their need and you may give them what they want, but I want to tell you something. There is no greater blessing on this planet than giving what you have to somebody else and giving in their life and seeing God work through you and change somebody else's life. We get a big deal about miracles today. Charismatics make so much much of miracles that the Baptists are afraid of them. I'm not afraid of miracles. I just, from the Bible, understand miracles. You realize for the church, <clears throat> you realize for the church there's only one miracle? Now, in the apostolic times, there was all miracle of healing, miracle of tongues, miracle uh, miracles of everything. You died, somebody came over and said, I don't worry about it, slapped you on the rear end, and up you went. You, you were blind, nobody would p- poke you in the eyes, and you can see. But it hasn't worked today. Because the only miracle for the New Testament church. Now hear me now. Now I'm not saying God isn't going to come through when you have a need. But when everybody has a real desperate need. You know the first thing they ask for? A miracle. And then they get all bummed out when they don't get it. Years ago we had a guy at that, uh, that, a church I was with. And, and I was just a young guy then. And he died. He, he died. And I forget what disease he had, and he was probably, uh, you know, he was probably in his 40s, a relatively young guy, but he, he had some disease, and, and, and the doctor says there's no hope. Well, he went to the pastor, and, and he asked the pastor, you know, I, I want to do everything. He says, it's not a fact that I'm not saved and ready to go home to the Lord. He was a good guy. He says, but he says, I want to do, make sure I do everything I can do. He says, I want to claim the verse in the Bible that if any sick among you, uh, let them call for the elders, anoint him with oil, and he'll be healed. Now, I want to tell you something. That verse is not in a book that's written to the church. See? But I, back then, I didn't have any say. I got a call on the intercom from the pastor. We were going to do it Sunday night after church. He says, Bob, I need you to go get some oil. Now, you don't know what a pressure burden that was on me as a young pastor. First of all, I wasn't sure what the verse meant. Second of all, how i am got to go get the oil. That puts a tremendous responsibility. What if I get the wrong oil? What kind of oil was I supposed to get? There was no instructions. Do I get Quaker State 3040? Do I get Crisco? Do I get Wesson? Not Smith and Wesson, just Wesson. So I'm I'm in a jam. I go down there and went into the kitchen and I don't know what to find. There I found, I I just prayed to God I got the right oil. I found me some Western oil, put in a little styrofoam cup and at the end of service I brought it in and the guy got down there, all the pastors got around, we we put oil on his head and he died. (laughs) (laughs) That verse does not mean that if you're in some dire, destitute face death, that if somebody rubs 10W40 on your head, you're going to be okay. The only miracle, listen to me now, the only bona fide miracle given to the church is the miracle of the new birth. Amen. That's all it is. That's the only miracle we have. Now, do you know what that does? If you saved here this morning, let me hear you say amen. Are you saved? Then you know what that does? When I put you with somebody and they have a need in their life, they need to be discipled, they need, they need to be structured, their marriage is on the rocks, they're having some kind of problem with their kids or whatever the case it is, and you work with them, do you know what they really need? They need a miracle. But they don't need some hokey pokey miracle of somebody poking them and throwing them up and down and singing around and giving them the prayer dance. What they need is a bona fide New Testament Bible miracle. And ladies and gentlemen, if you've been saved this morning, you going into that person's life and giving them what they need, you become the miracle that they need. That's ministry. It's the only miracle for the church. It's the only miracle we have. And when somebody has a need, you step up, you take that person, you give them what they need, you become the miracle that they're looking for. You have the potential everybody in here to be the miracle that somebody's looking for in their life. Why will you not see that and why will you not act on that? You need to be the miracle in your children's life. They need a miracle. In the world that we live in, they need a miracle. The people that you work with, the people that come in, their marriages are under rocks. they got all kinds of problems. They've got addictions. They've got this. They've got that. They need a miracle. God is not going to come down and zap you with a miracle stick that takes away your problem. He's going to give you somebody in your life that got the miracle of the new birth that can give that miracle to you that you need. And you get blessed from it. Much more than the person you work with. They may be thankful, they may be happy, they may say, this is the greatest place, I'm gonna stay here forever, but they don't get the blessings like you do when you let God use you in the life of somebody else. God blesses us on the basis of what we do for him, not what he does for us. Get it straight. It isn't about what he does for you. It's about what you do for him. When you minister to somebody, you get blessed, okay? Acts chapter 13, verse 2. The church at Antioch. The Bible says, it gives you a whole list of people that were there, and then it says this in verse 2. And as they ministered unto the Lord. Now, do you want the hand of God's blessings on your life? Well, minister to other people as God gives them to you. But the first one that you minister to is the Lord. Amen. And you couldn't find 20 of God's people in this city who understands what it means to minister to the Lord. God has some needs. Now, I know you think he doesn't. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. I get that. He can move mountains. I get that. He raised dead people. I understand. He has some needs today today that he needs from you and me. And just as the blessings of God come when you meet her need, his need, his need, or somebody else's need, when you minister to the Lord and meet his need, wow, there's the blessings. God's got some needs today. I'm going to let you think about what they are, and we'll talk about them a little bit. Blessings are giving somebody what they need. And when you work with somebody and give them what they need, you're to get the blessing out of it. You never get blessed. You never get blessed by God giving you things. You get blessed by giving other things to people that God gave you. You've got to see it. And then you wonder why you're not blessed. You keep your life to yourself. You keep everything to yourself. Everything is about you. You're your own best friend. You're focused. I knew one guy one time that I thought he'd never find anybody uh, to marry because I wouldn't think he'd ever find anybody he could love as much as he loved himself. We go through life and it's all about us. We never look outward about what God needs, the needs that are out there. We'll take the miracle of the new birth, but we'll never be that miracle in somebody else's life. Shame on us. Shame on us this morning. The blessings of God in your life. Now, that's a good thing. The blessings of God in your life is a great thing. But as you go on in our story in Genesis chapter 37, you're going to see the second part of that principle that the blessings of God in your life, and boy, we want them, and I'll take them no matter what. And you only get them by what you give to God, and God blesses through what you give him. But I want to tell you something it'll cause you some problems. It always will. I've learned that every good thing that God does for us will come also with a set of issues and a set of problems. In this case, in Genesis with Joseph in his coat of many colors, it was the other brothers, wasn't it? They hated Joseph because of that special coat that his father gave him. Boy, don't you know when he went into his daddy and his daddy said, son, I had this made for you, put it on him. And he looked around and he says, buddy, this is great. He was so caught up with what his father had given him through their special relationship. He never thought. He thought his brothers would be as excited about him getting that coat as he was. Whoa, is that a mistake you're going to make in life? He walked out there with that little coat on with all those sparkling colors on it and said, boys, hey, guys, look at what dad gave me. They weren't happy about it. It's the most amazing thing in this world. God's people ought to be thrilled to death that God is blessing another child of God even when he doesn't bless you. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. It's the absolute craziest thing. And when God blesses you and your family and he doesn't bless someone else the same way and they see it in your life, it will cause you some problems. Joseph's brothers, the Bible says, envied him. They wanted what he had. They were jealous of him. They were jealous of his coat. And in time, they, 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 they turned to them hating him to the point where they were ready to get rid of him any way that they could. But you see, the real truth of the matter is they all could have had a coat. He got the coat because he had a special relationship with the father. And instead of wanting, coming out and saying, wow, I'm going to get a coat just like that because I'm going to love my father and do for him like Joseph did, Uh uh-uh, it was the problems in their own heart. They had a problem in their own heart with the father, and they never got the coat. Hey, there will be people in your life, some of them will be your friends, many of them will be your family who they play at being a Christian. They pretend they're right with God when they're not. They care nothing about God, giving anything to God. They make it to church once every six weeks, you know, faithfully. It's a thing where they care absolutely nothing about their life and God and giving it with their kids, whatever the case may be. And they'll see your family. They'll see God's blessings in your life and your children all he does for you based on all you do for him. And when all of you get together at Christmas, when all you get together for birthdays, when you all hang out together, hey, it may be July 20th and it may be 101 degrees out, but it's going to be like 30 degrees below zero at that party. It's going to be frosty. Deep down inside, they resent you. They envy you. And many times they hate you. Oh, they don't hate you in the sense of, of, I hate that person, I never want to see him again. They hate you in the sense that that they they hate what God has done for you. They really hate the God that's in you. Deep down inside, they see all of that and they hate you and they're jealous of you. They envy you for what you have with God, but you know what? They won't do anything right in their life and change a thing to get what you got. Because the problem isn't you. No more than the problem with Joseph. The problem was in the heart of God's people. They don't want to give God anything, yet they want the blessings of God. You know, the definitive passage on this is found uh, in Genesis chapter 4. Turn over there in in the first eight verses. And it's the same thing here, and it's a great story. It's a story of Cain and Abel. A great example of this very thing we're talking about. Genesis chapter 4 says, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass, that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock, and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou in wrath? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt not thou be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. Now, you want to, and again, everybody knows this story, but let's look at it in our context of our life. I want you to see some things. First of all, the Bible says in verse 4 that uh, the two boys, they bring an offering to the Lord, and Abel brings his, and Cain brings his. And the Bible says that God had respect unto Abel uh, in his offering. He got the blessing. God looked at that, and he said, that's a good thing. I'm going to give you my blessing. You're going to, I got respect under yours. But he looks at Cain, and he says, Cain, I, I, I'm not going to have any respect to yours, and I, I, there's no blessing that comes along with yours. Now, theologically, here's what you got. Cain's a picture of an unsaved man. Abel's a picture of a saved man. Abel went to the flocks. He got a sheep. You and I, if we're saved today, we were saved by the blood of a lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. Cain, on the other hand, he didn't get a sheep. He brought his fruit. He brought his 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 things that he had labored with to bring to God. It's a picture of a man coming to Christ and offering a lamb and a man coming and offering his own works for salvation. And God wouldn't accept it. God will never accept it. And so he says to Abel, I have respect unto yours. You got the blessing, Cain, I'm sorry, I cannot bless you because I cannot accept and have respect under your offering. And the Bible says in verse 5 and 6 that Cain is wroth. He's angry. He's mad. And what follows here is exactly what I'm talking about. And I've tried to show you a number of different ways as we come to this point through this. God says to him, you know what? I know I blessed your brother and I didn't bless you. He says, it's not a problem. There's no reason for you to get upset at your brother. There's no reason for you to get upset with me. Hey, just go get the right offering and bring the right things to me and I will give you the blessings. And you know what his response was? He killed Abel. And then in verse 11, he left the presence of the Lord. You see, now there's your sister, there's your brothers, there's your co-worker, there's your friend, there's the people in your world who see you doing things for God, God's hand in your life, they don't have the hand in their life, they don't get it, or they do get it, and they won't act on it, and they're just like Cain. Cain, here it comes, get it down. You don't hear anything else I said, hear this, Cain wanted the blessings of God, without giving God anything he wanted. He wanted it all from God without ever thinking why God wanted a lamb instead of cantaloupes, potatoes, turnips. Cain wanted the blessings of God just like a lot of people today. I want God's blessing, but I don't want to give God anything to get blessed and then get mad about it. But as I said earlier, Abel paid the price, didn't he? Cain killed him. So that's a great proverb. The blessings are upon the head of the just. But not everybody's going to be happy about it. I'll say it again. You get the blessings of God in your life by you ministering to Christ. By finding out what his needs are, and then giving it to him through the ministry to him. Now, we talk about ministry here all the time, and we minister to people. But I'm going to tell you right now, and I say it enough that it should go without saying, that our ministry to people is based on our ministering to the Lord first. Because unlike maybe many other preachers or maybe some of God's people, I know what his needs are. And I know that most people are sitting up there scratching their and saying, well, how could God need anything? He doesn't drive a car, so he doesn't need a car. He's light, so he doesn't wear clothes. He doesn't need clothes. I mean, he got the... I mean, what does God need from me? What are his needs? Well, first of all, to start it off with, his need is for souls to be won into his kingdom. And he's not going to come down and do that by himself. He's going to do it through you. He wants you to recognize what he did for you, and then he wants you to give back to him through others what he gave to you. That's his need. He has a need for souls to be saved. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. I wish we felt the same way about it. God has a need, and the first need that he has is souls into his kingdom. Now, I understand that God could have come down and just littered the sky with gospel tracts every morning when the dews on the ground. I mean, there was a time when the manna was on the ground. I guess he could have just put John three sixteen and the plans of salvation all over everybody's lawn in the morning. The birds are the greatest singers in the world. I guess instead of having them chirp in the morning, they could have chirped out, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know. He could have done any of that. He chose not to do it that way. You know why? Because he chose for you and me to be the miracle that people needed. He did the miracle in your life and my life first, and then he wants you and me to take that miracle to somebody else. That's the first thing he needs. God's people will never get it. It's too busy in life getting what they want. I'll tell you what else he needs. He needs your worship and praise. And you don't do that by getting up and singing some goofy song or getting up and throwing your hands up in the air. The Bible says in the Gospel of John that when we worship him, we worship him in spirit and truth. Your spirit and the truth of that book, that's where worship starts. You got the wrong book, you got no worship. I'll tell you something else he needs. He needs our undivided attention. Too many things we're looking at instead of him. I told you a couple of weeks ago, I was doing this this morning and just, and I, I, I told you about my two dogs. They, they, they just, you know, I, I always liken to, as I said a couple of weeks ago, I always liken my relationship with God, uh, like I'm the dog and, and he's the master, you know, and I'm sitting down there this morning and they're both on the couch and I'm there doing my stuff and, and I, every time I move, they were laying there, uh, half asleep, and all I did was just turn to get something. Both of them were up. If I, if, when, I, when I flip my phone off at night and they hear that, when it shuts down, they're up. They know it's time to go to bed. They can be sound asleep on the floor and I'll be sitting there and just cross one leg to the other and they're looking at me. Let's go. They, they never lose sight of where I'm at in their world. And I don't know how many times I've sat there and I've said, Oh God, why can't I be just like that? Why can't I just have my attention span that is totally focused on you? Because at the end of the day, I know what you want in my life. And it's also true of you. You want my undivided attention. And there's too many things in this world that diverts my attention from him to other things. Now, I'm not a stickler about those things, and a lot of preachers are. I mean, I hope the Royals win tonight. I hope they win the World Series. I do. I'd like to see this town go crazy. They deserve it. The guys deserve it. They've worked hard. And because they did good last week and gave me the illustration that I needed, they need to win it now. I get that. But, you know, deep down inside, compared to God in this book, I don't really give a flip. And I'll tell you something else. When we're in heaven for 150 million years, nobody's going to have the record of who won the World Series. So I'm, I'm cool with it. I, I, I try to keep a balance. Yeah, I want him to win. Yeah, I got a royal shirt. Yeah, I got a royal hat. Yeah, I wear it around. Yeah, when the chiefs get... I love it. When the chiefs get a shot, I get another Big Mac. I'm with you, man. I'm with you. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I don't really care. Right. end of the day, I want my undivided attention to him. Right. And nothing infuriates me more when something in this life pulls me off of that. I, I just... I just want to kick myself. We get the blessings of God in our lives because of our ministry to him. I'll tell you what else he needs. He needs you and I to finish the work that he started. You see, when you look at the plan, he lived 33 years. He never did one thing outside of a circumference of 40, 50, 60 miles. He never reached the world. He never went to China. He never went to the Eskimos. He never went to Europe. He never went here. He did everything he did within a 60-mile radius of where he was born. And God, who made him the Savior and brought him down to be the Savior of mankind, you'd have thought that he would have lived forever and just stayed on earth and perpetuated the kingdom and just kept that thing going. Now, if I'd have been God, that's what I would have done. But God chose not to do it that way in his infinite wisdom. You know what he chose to do? He chose it to let him be on this earth for 33 years, lay out the example, give everything we needed, put it in the most perfect model we have ever seen, and then take him back to heaven and say, I, the day of salvation, i begun a good work in you and I want to perform it under the day of Jesus Christ. You do the work. You finish the work that I started. That's what he needs. I'll tell you something. I got a whole list of them. I'll just give you one more. I'll tell you something else he needs. He needs you and me to replace ourselves down here. We talked about this last week. He needs to start with your family. You need to replace who you are in Christ with your family and then other people around you. That's 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 his needs. Okay, let's look at the second part of that verse. But violence covereth the mouth of the wicked. Wicked people will always cover their true wickedness by what they say. A wise man can spot it 100 miles away. In the people ministry, a couple last year or whenever it was, I taught you the patterns of deception. When you know those patterns, you can pretty much tell when somebody's not on the up and up. You know, it's a great principle of life. Don't listen to what a man says. simply watch what he does. When I hear over in the Middle East, when I hear the Palestinians want to go to the UN and talk about peace in the Middle East, when I hear Hamas uh, want to cease fire and talk about peace with Israel, don't fall for it for a second. Just look at the last 200 ceasefires they called and they broke every one of them. When a pope talks about everybody getting together and all the denominations loving God and being buddy-buddy and, and uh, holding hands and singing Kumbaya, don't buy it. Look back at a thousand years of the most bloodiest time in history of murder and deceit you ever saw. Nothing's changed. Now, going back to the book of Proverbs, when we're studying here, you find the evil man and the strange woman. We've already seen that when through it. Bible says her path is on the way to hell. Yet she covers covers her mouth when she speaks. Yet the Bible says she flatters with her words in Proverbs 5.16. Bible says the words of her lips drop like honeycombs, 5a3. Her mouth, when she says something, is smoother than oil, 5 a But the Bible says in Proverbs 5, 4, but her end is bitter as wormwood and as a two-edged sword. And her steps take you straight to hell. See? She covereth much violence with what she says. Now, there are people in life just like that. They're wicked, and their violence under their tongue now, you get taken in if you're not careful. Everything they say, there will be an ulterior motive involved with it. This is where discernment and discretion, as the book of Proverbs says, comes in. Bible says in Matthew 12, 34, On the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When a man is wicked in his heart, it comes out of his mouth. He may try to cover it, but if you know what to look for, it's there. When there's wickedness in a man's heart, that wickedness will lead to violence in every action he does. Everything out of the wicked man's mouth needs to be viewed with caution. And this is where you've got to have, as I said, perception and discretion and discernment. There are some people I've met through life in my Christian journey over the years that I wouldn't believe anything they said and I wouldn't trust them any farther than I could throw them. In the Bible, there's quite a lot of examples that you can follow when you can study that. Now, I go back doctrinally when we're reading all this stuff. It's talking about the Antichrist. Just so you keep it in context. His deceit is deception and what he tells people in the first half of the tribulation period. 1 Thessalonians 5.3 says that he says he's bringing in peace and safety. They buy it. They believe it. He lies. He covers his wickedness and his violence with what he says. And then he nails them. And uh, I know that Doc, that's what it's talking about. But practically, <laughs> a lot of his kinfolk run around today. And you'll bump into them sooner or later. Now look at verse 7. The memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked shall rot. Every February 22nd, we have what we call President's Day. That's a great reminder of this verse. Some states, it's George Washington's birthday we celebrate. Some states, it's George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. And then some other states, it's George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and Thomas Jefferson. But it's President's Day. We think about them in a good way. I mean, there are certain names that uh, you always associate. I talked about Daniel Webster a little while back. Uh, he's one of our founding fathers. And these three men were our founding, part of our founding fathers. And yet, if you found that the average Christian, you, they, they couldn't name, or the average kid going to school, doesn't have to be a Christian. You get the average kid that's 15 or 16 years old and asking to name five of the founding fathers, he won't even know who they are. Many kinds won't even know who his own father is, let alone the one that founded our country. But that's what you got today. In the Bible, in New Testament Christianity, The names of people are very important. Even the world does it and doesn't understand why. That's why you find most popular names are like Peter, Paul, John, Timothy, James. Sometimes they'll be called Jacob. Sometimes they'll be called David. Sometimes they'll be called Samuel, maybe Mark, maybe Luke. They are very popular names because they don't always know this, probably never do know it, but they lend themselves to good, wholesome guys in the Bible, they're good names. you find women naming their girls Ruth, Hannah, Sarah, Mary, Martha, Rebecca, Rachel. They, they, they don't know necessarily why they do it for the most part. Some of them do, obviously. But those are good names. And people are drawn to good names. In church history, you find certain names that really stand out. And it should be a blessing to a Christian if you understand anything about your Bible. The name Martin Luther, who started the Reformation. William, uh, John Wycliffe, who put out the first English translation in 1384. Your King James Bible but comes from that. William Tyndale puts out another one in 1536. 95% of your King James Bible is off of Tyndale's Bible. It's a blessed name if you know it. Who doesn't know the name of John Bunyan? John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Process. Probably... of God's people today have never read that book. One of the greatest books that was ever written. Jonathan Edwards, the great awakening in New England that spread all across America. Charles Wesley, the great songwriter. John Wesley, the great preacher. George Whitefield, one of the most phenomenal, influential preachers of all time. David Brainerd, died at 29 years of age. Tuberculosis, had a burden for the American Indians. Used to be in the woods in Pennsylvania and West Virginia praying for the American Indians. Got tuberculosis. He would go out and pray for hours under the great pine trees in the deep snow and the fever-wracked body would melt the snow around him in puddles of water. He died 29 years of age. Never won one American Indian to Christ. Never started any church. Never did anything uh, as the world sees it for God. And yet he kept a journal, the diary of David Brainerd. One of the most incredible things you'll ever read in your life. Got it in the bookstore back there. One of the most incredible things you ever read. But who knows that today? Who knows it today? Who even knows his name today? But it's a blessed name. William Carey, he knew who it was. Henry Madison, he knew who it was. Robert McShane knew who he was. Those were men back in the 1800s that read his journal years after he died. Got such a burden that William Carey went to India as a missionary, Henry went to India, and Machane went to the Jews, won millions of people to Christ based on one man's name and what he did. We think of General William Booth, Salvation Army, Charles Spurgeon, Dwight Moody, C.I. Schofield, Henry Ironside, Billy Sunday, J. Frank Norris. We have what we have today in this church, You have this church teaches the King James Bible and stands on it and has the fundamentals of teaching what the Bible should be because of one man's stand. And you guys don't even know, most people don't even know who it is. The list goes on and on. And to a Bible believer, they are blessed names. For one way or the other, they were used of God to get us the Bible that we have today. And as I said, 99% of God's people don't even know who they are. But the memory of the just is blessed. But the name of the wicked shall rot. Ever notice there's no kids to ever named Judas by their parents? No. Ever notice there's not many kids named Saul? Ever notice that there's no girls to ever named Jezebel? A lot of girls called Jezebel by other women, but uh, their moms never called them that way. The verse there doesn't even say the last part of that verse that there's any memory. Memory is our word for memorial. There's no memory of them. They're just rotten. Names like Adolf Hitler. Names like Heinrich Himmler, the Roman Caesars. I think of Adi Amin who was in Uganda down there in South Africa or Central Africa. And uh, he was one of the most tyrant dictators that butchered more people. I mean, he was absolutely. And when they overthrew him and they took him out, you can't even say his name down there anymore. Incredible. 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 The Roman Catholic Church has an official list of popes and uh, every three or four years they adjust it to fit their own agenda. And nobody ever squawks about it and nobody ever says anything about it. You know why? Because nobody cares. If you read the official list by the, put out by the Roman Catholics, not by a Baptist, if you read the official list of the popes and their deeds put out by the Catholic Church, it'd make you puke. It's the most corrupt, terrible, horrific stuff you ever saw in your life. Nobody cares anymore. Nobody cares. Their name is Rotten. Now, it stands the reason that someday we're all going to die. We saw that last week when we hit the wintertime. And last week I gave you Psalms 90. We spend our days as a tale that is told. And that will either be, in your case or my case, a good tale or a bad tale. When we talk about a guy like Joseph Stalin, never good. Nobody will ever think much of Lee Harvey Oswald, Benedict Arnold, nobody today will have anything good to say about him. If you're related to John Wilkes Booth, you probably couldn't get anywhere, anyplace, if they know who you're related to. There are tales that are told down through history about those guys and many, many more like them. But over the next 200 years, people will talk about and be taught about these guys and a thousand more just like them as wicked men, just as we are today. There's no day honoring them. There's no memorials. I remember in the first Gulf War when Saddam Hussein was the leader of Iraq. And uh, he had statues of himself everywhere. And everybody had to pay. His picture was in every place in that city. And when they finally overthrew Baghdad and the place went down, you know what? You can see pictures on CNN and the news where they were hooking up chains to those big bronze statues, and they were pulling them over. They were throwing his pictures in burning them in mass fires. You went over there today, you couldn't find any semblance to Saddam Hussein. He's gone. He's gone. And that's the way it goes. No reference to him. No reference of anything about him. And then there are some real Christians that real Christians will never forget. I like to read stories about great Christians, especially when they die and the impact. I was reading years ago, I read it every once in a while, about the death of Billy Sunday. He died in 1935. Billy Sunday was probably the last great evangelist that ever shook this country. Everybody else, you know, after that, there were some good ones, but uh, he, he was something else. And when he died in 1935... He laid in state in Madison Square Garden in New York City. Two million people filed by in a two-day time while his body lied in state. A New York Times reporter, I can't remember his name right now, but he he covered his death. And he said in his account that he stood there for two days as two million people filed by, person after person. And he said almost everybody that went by said to the person in front of them or the person behind them or said to themselves, My life would not be where it is today if it wasn't for that man's preaching. What a tremendous name to have. Two million people and probably another 10 million that didn't go by that had their lives changed because of the life of one man. I think of J. Frank Norris, the Texas Tornado, I think of how he took a stand against the Southern Baptist Convention, broke out. And I'm telling you, I know you don't get it. I know you don't understand it. I know you take it all for granted. But the reason why you're not speaking in tongues this morning and the reason why you're not messed up in an NIV or an ASV or the reason why you're not some neo-evangelical church and I'm not wearing a robe with my hair slicked back with one of the mics that come around the side of my mouth is because of J. Frank Norris. He held the line with that book and what that book says and gave birth to the fundamental movement. It's dead now, except for a few people are holding the line, but he did it. I remember about three years ago, my father in the Lord, most of you know Mel Shabaka, Gene Shabaka was here just a couple of weeks ago. He, He died and we went to the funeral in Canton. There must have been 600 guys there. 600 guys that that old Mel had put into ministry, either directly or indirectly. Probably another 20,000 out there that didn't come to the funeral. Jean said she got telegrams and letters from people all over the world his life impacted. For two days, for two solid days, us guys sat around at tables and receptions and we just talked and talked and talked way into the wee hours of the morning of what Mel meant to us about his ministry and how he changed every one of our lives. Now, when your tale is told, when my tale is told, Bible says in Psalms 90, we spend our days as a tale that is told. We live our life, we go through it, and when we die, people sit around and talk about the impact that we had in our life, good or bad, a blessed name or a rotten name. When our tale is told, what will be said about us? Will they sit around and complain about the fact that we still owe them a lot of money? Well, we talk about, and boy, I've heard this, well, he ripped me off in every business deal I ever had. He never paid his debts. Ah, he was a drug addict, or he was an alcoholic. We had a lady in our church one time. Anna worked with her, a couple other girls too. I can't remember, oh, Mary, what's her name? I don't remember her last name. I don't remember her first name. Thank you, you did. She came here, and I don't remember how she came here, but she came here. And this was one of the most wicked, worthless women I ever met in my life. She had an ulterior motive for everything that she did. And I'll tell you, she was out to get everything from everybody she could. We gave her a chance. And I remember we sat right there and talked to her that Thursday night Bible study. Yeah, yeah. And she, she got mad, stepped up, walked out of that church, flipped her nose up in the air and was gone and never came back that all we tried to do was get her to see that, you know what, we don't operate that way here. This was a wicked woman. She got sick about a year later and died. And she's on her deathbed, and the hospital is, is calling her family. And she's on life support. They called her son and her daughter and said, your mom's dying, we need to have you come down. The son said, and I quote, well, don't let her die till I get there. I want to be the one who pulls the plug out of her life support system. See, what a name. What a mother. The memory of the just is blessed, but the names of the wicked shall rot. I, I, that's a terrible, tragic thing, but it happens a million times a year because of the fact that people don't do what they want, God wants them to do. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1 says this. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And loving favor rather than silver and gold. A good name. A name that carries with it the blessings of God. A name that carries with it all that God has done in your life that other people see. Listen, when people hear your name and know you're a Christian... They automatically think of you in a context of how you live your life as a Christian. They simply spell your name by the way you live your life, rotten or blessed. Romans chapter 14, 7, one of the most profound verses anywhere in the New Testament, says that no man liveth to himself, no man dieth to himself. There's always somebody watching your life. So I want you to understand today about blessings. You don't get blessed just because you're a Christian, so God has to bless you. Blessings are based on what you give to God, not what God gives to you. And you see many people out there who never get a thing from God. They struggle everything with God. It's because generally when you look at their lives, they've never done anything for God. They're like Cain. They want the blessings of God, but they didn't want to do the right things to get that blessing, so they get mad at God. They get mad at Abel, and that's where it lows, And that's how it happens. The blessings of God has come from you ministering to others. When you minister to others, you give to them, and in giving to them, you get blessed. But when you start ministering to the Lord and giving him what he needs, meeting his need, that's where the blessings come. God will bless you, and his hand will be upon you and everything you do in life. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight shall be in the law of the Lord. And in this law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the river of the water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. That's the blessings of God based on your relationship with him because in Christ Jesus is all the blessings of God. Let's pray.